0: The world needs more people that are willing to say, you know, humbly, oh, let me teach you.
1: Welcome, guys, and gals to the Man Talks Podcast. I'm Roger Nairn. And I'm Connor Beaton. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. We talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and join the thousands of other change makers in our community on Facebook or go to Mantalks.com. But first, before we get started, Started. We've got some exciting news in Mantox land right now. There is so many things happening, so many so balls many in the air. Awesome. Uh, Connor, why don't you kind of explain to us some of the, uh, the, the the exciting things on the horizon?
2: All right, so Mantox family, really quick, we're gonna make we're gonna make this simple. We could definitely use your help. We are. Uh, we have an event coming up on August 22nd in Toronto um, that's going to be hosted by Samsung. It's going to be cool. It's going to have virtual reality devices in there that you can go and play with. So that's August 22nd. So go to the Mantox site to pick up your tickets. Yeah, you can check that out. Um, and then we're launching in Miami.
1: Woo-woo, Miami!
2: Bienvenido a Miami. So is that, isn't that Will Smith? <laughs> I just quoted Will Smith didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're launching in Miami August 29th. Uh, the, the site's up already. It's, it's on the Facebook page. It's on the website. Um, so definitely go check that out. And if you know anybody down in Miami, if you're here in Vancouver and you know some people, or if you're out in Toronto or down in LA and you know some people in Miami, should go check it out. Definitely share the event with you. We're them. going
1: deep south, and then we're going to move as north as possible and just kind of sp- spatter uh, Man
2: Talks all around the land. And then the final thing is that we, uh, we've we got about 50 members in the Mastermind group here in Vancouver. We're launching that in Toronto as well. So if you want to be a part of a Mastermind group uh, with some other kick-ass guys from from around North America, then go onto the Man Talks webpage and check it out.
1: Yeah, for if you've never experienced a, a Mastermind before, you can really take the things that you've learned in our community and 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 the other communities that you're part of and just sort of like 10x them. It's an amazing experience to be able to get together with a group of guys and really supercharge whatever you're needing to do in your life. Yeah. Awesome. So let's bring on our guest. His name is Derek Keefe. Derek Keefe is an astronomer from Vancouver's HR McMillan Space Center. I saw him speak at an event not too long ago about the Juno space trip to study Jupiter, and it absolutely blew my mind, not only because of the incredible complexity of the program itself, but because Derek took this really complex program, inserted so much excitement and passion into it. And I walked away incredibly uh, inspired. It got me thinking, how do we get people excited about space and science again, which I know is, you know, a huge hot topic. So we brought him onto the show to talk about just that thing. Connor, what did you take away from today's uh, conversation?
2: All right. So we, we totally geeked out. And why should you listen to this podcast? Well, Derek talks about, you know, science and curiosity but we also dive into things like mars and when we're going to go to mars we dive into jupiter and the you know the the exploration that's happening to that planet we talk about gravitational waves like we geek out geek out hard it's awesome huge geek high you need to listen to it it's so good i'm gonna go back and listen to it
1: awesome well let's bring him on so we can listen to him mr Derek. keith (laughs) Hey, Derek, welcome to the Man Talks podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Before we get started, we always like to ask our guests the same question, and that is, can you tell us a defining moment for you as a man? Uh, That's a tough one just
0: because there are so many defining moments there, Uh, but it would probably have to be uh, my coming out, Uh, and not necessarily my coming out to my friends, to my family, but to myself. Um, There's a lot of moments in your life where you realize – uh, you're, you think you're acting one way and you think you're being true to who you are and then you kind of self-evaluate or you look at you something and you realize that's not the case. So for me, it was, uh, my second year university at UBC, I was, uh, you know, I hadn't been dating anyone, uh, or of any kind. And, uh, it was that moment of, I don't really know who I am, I know who I am in terms of, um, Uh, rationally in that respect of I'm interested in certain things, I'm passionate about certain things, but I don't know where my life will lead with another person. Uh, And I don't even know who that person is, if it's a guy, if it's a girl, if it's who knows. Uh, And so there was this long time where I kind of sat down for a prolonged period of time, started talking to myself, I guess, at night, which sounds a little crazy, but (laughs) it was one of those moments of uh, really self-reflecting and trying to figure out who I was uh, and where I stood with myself. Um, and it was a lot of hard, uh, it was very hard, I guess, for me in the respect of, of trying to figure out who I was, uh, with labels. Um, because coming out to me, it was, Oh, if you're gay, you have to be this, this, and this, you have to be wearing pink frilly shirts and like go in clubbing and stuff like that. And that just wasn't something that I was interested in. And so it took me a long time to realize that, Defining who you are uh, as a man, as a person, you don't have to ascribe yourself to a certain uh, group. You don't have to ascribe yourself to a stereotype, to a class, if you will. Uh, You have to just be who you are and be good with that. Uh, And that took me a while to actually kind of come around and say, no, I I am gay. I am uh, happily gay, uh, but I don't have to ascribe to stereotypes that I'm putting the pressure on. Uh, for the rest of myself and and for the community as a
2: whole and did you did you find that having that clarity within yourself and sort of taking that time to really dial into what you wanted and who you were allowed you the the sort of like strength, I guess to go and have the conversations with friends and family and and then has that clarity in that decision making process that you that you had has that given you strength in in the rest of your choices that that have kind of come up in in the rest of your life? No, 100. percent. My best friend, a Cheyenne. She was the first person that I came out to, and
0: I literally texted her one night. And I was like, "Nope, I need to. I need to talk to someone because I'm very much so a. Uh, I internalize it. I think about it, and then I need to talk to someone. It's not just like it can sit there. Uh, so, it was like, "Hey, shy, what are you up to?". Uh, she was going to class at the time, uh, and uh, she said, "Yeah, come walk with me to class." And so we were walking to class, and I was like, "I want to. I want to tell her. I want to tell her I'm into dudes." Uh, and, uh, the entire conversation as we were walking, I mean, we're best friends. So it just kind of continued along the vein of what friends talk about. So we just talked about our days and laughed and had a good time. And we got to her class and she's like, wait, you wanted to tell me something and, I, at that moment, it was this kind of hesitation of, oh shoot, I forgot that there was another purpose to this whole conversation, uh, and then I was like, yeah, shy, I'm into dudes, and without missing a beat, she's like, that's awesome. Do I get to meet the guy? Like, is there is there a guy? And I was like, no, 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 there's not, but I'm into dudes. She's like, it's totally cool. Like, I love that you can be honest with yourself, you can be who you are. Um, and the interesting thing was that our relationship only grew it only got closer because of that idea of i opened up who i was i was able to to look at myself analyze who i was and be true to that uh and then my friends as a whole across the board uh have been supportive and 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 even more so the idea that uh i can open up and and, and trust them in that way uh, has brought me closer across the board to everyone including my family members i have a very um i guess i'm I'm beyond elated that uh, my coming out story, you know, the, the hardest hurdle that I had to overcome was myself. Um, I have an amazing friend group, amazing family that's extremely supportive. Uh, and it was just in my mind in in reconciling that I don't have to be a stereotype. I can be who I am um, and still be be gay, be a scientist, be be whatever it is. Uh, you know, scientists often get the get knocked for being antisocial or awkward or nerdy and stuff like that. And I'd say, embrace it. That's who you are. That's powerful for you. Um, you don't have to be, you know, the quiet guy that sits in the corner. If that's you, that's totally fine. Um, but you can also just be who you are uh, as long as you're true to who you are. So I guess that's that's the big thing. I wasn't being true to who I was. And in the moment of of becoming honest and, and true to who who I was, everyone around me recognized that
2: and said, power to you. Mm. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a powerful story, right? And I think, well, first off, thanks for sharing with us. Cause that's, that's fantastic. It's incredible. It's incredible. And, and I think your, your perspective is something that, you know, a lot of people struggle with, like you, you mentioned that you were the, sort of the biggest sort of hurdle that you had to overcome. And, you know, a lot of people have great friend circles they have great family circles that want to help them and support them through whatever they're looking to do and oftentimes their sort of internal perception is the biggest hurdle so it's great mm-hmm. to kind of hear you share that because i think that'll you know be a lot of value for for people who are listening out there so on that note let's let's do a little shift And let's talk about what you do in the world because it is fascinating as hell and I cannot wait to dive into this. So give us – give our listeners a little bit of insight into what you do in the world.
0: Totally. So I'm the astronomer at the HR McMillan Space Center here in Vancouver, British Columbia. And my job – the day-to-day on my job is all over the board. I basically, in a nutshell – I think I would best describe it as I want to become a, a mini Bill Nye or Neil deGrasse. My job kind of has me doing work uh, in the planetarium and doing some outreach there in terms of programming the planetarium, uh, creating content for shows, making shows in, in the planetarium environment, making science demos, uh, crafting those and trying to make them accessible to all people, uh, going out and doing lecture series, doing out uh, going out and doing uh, teaching in actual schools. Uh, I also do a lot on our telescope that we have, a half-meter Cassegrain Reflection Telescope. Uh, and uh, yeah, one of the biggest parts and one of the, the most enjoyable parts for me is when I actually get out into the community and I start doing stuff like the the gig where you met me. Um, there's a lot of kind of mini science talks that I do. Uh, and that's, that's where I, I get a lot of, of my passion for my job. But my job is very varied from sitting in the back and programming and not really seeing the light of day to being outside and talking to people and interacting with people.
1: Yeah, just you—you you t- you touched on the fact that I—I I had seen you out in, in the public uh, a couple of weeks ago. I saw you speak at an event, and—and and I walked away just absolutely blown away <laughs> with how much passion and energy you had for this this topic. And I admittedly. You know, it's one of my weak points is, is science and, and sort of the, uh, the background behind it. And I know Connor's a, a huge science fan and he, you know, he admittedly <laughs> says that he's a bit of a nerd. Um, but, were, you know, who, who inspired you to get
0: into astronomy? Specifically, astronomy uh, was a hard point. It actually, I would have to point it at my dad. Growing up, uh, my parents, uh, I grew up in Boston, outside, uh, outside of Boston in Massachusetts. And my parents were extremely supportive of whatever we wanted to be. Um, You know, if I can if I can thank anyone, my dad, my mom, uh, for really letting us grow into the people that we are today. If I wanted to go try a new sport, completely supportive. Uh, If I wanted to try a new subject matter, they'd completely invest their own time and and learn as much as they could about it to support us in that uh, in that manner. And so growing up, it's one of those things that you have that support group to explore and they want to allow you and and work on your inspirations to really let you blossom into whomever you will become. Uh, And so specifically with space, uh, I remember my dad would take us out onto the roof, uh, during meteor showers, uh, in the middle of the winter in Boston winter. So it's pretty cold, very, very damp cold, which, and with lots of snow, which Vancouver doesn't know anything about. And, uh, he would he would take us out and be like, hey, we're going up on the roof. And of course, you're never allowed on the roof. That's completely unsafe. But dad would be like, yep, let's go up onto the roof. It's a beautiful, clear night. Uh, and then we'd just sit there and we'd watch the shooting stars. We'd watch them, the meteor shower uh, as it kind of cut across the nighttime sky in December. And I just remember beautiful conversations coming from that, being there with my brothers, being there with my dad. Um, and I think sometimes my mom, but she usually was on the, the, the the balcony. Um, but it was just that idea of that sense of wonder, that sense of beauty that exists in the natural world, something that's so far away, um, that we are just now beginning to really reach out and, and start to uncover. So I'd have to say it's my dad with his, his kind of, his awe of the world.
2: That's fantastic. Um, can we geek out a little bit? Is that okay? Totally, geeking out is what I do. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. So you know, I'm I'm very curious with with what you do. What have been some of the, what have been some of the most exciting discoveries along along your career that may, not necessarily that that you've come upon, um, but have that have just kind of like come up in the scientific community and in, within your field. And then you know, what do you think is is sort of on the cusp of of happening? Like what what are we close to discovering out there?
0: Uh, well, there's so many. I think I just had 10 flash in front of me. Uh, the one that comes to mind that I get really, really excited about is gravitational waves. Um, and the quick story behind gravitational waves, basically, uh, Einstein uh, postulated that we exist in, not as a force, but as a kind of uh, fabric of space time is gravity. So gravity is no longer this thing that massive objects uh, exert on other objects, but it's just a natural uh, bending of the fabric of space time. Uh, and so, through the bending of, of the fabric of space time, you create these little gravity wells, what we call gravity wells, potential wells. Uh, and if something gets caught in that gravitational potential well, it will naturally kind of roll towards it. Just like an object rolling down a hill, it'll roll towards the object uh, in the center. Uh, and if you've got enough velocity moving around it, you can actually create an orbit around it. So, he basically rethought uh, Newtonian physics and, and the concept of gravity. That was fantastic. He also uh, postulated that if you had a massive perturbation, a massive event on this gravitational uh, field, if you will, uh, the fabric of space time, then it would cause this uh, ripple effect across the fabric of space time, massive event like uh, two black holes merging. And so the thing that he said was that we would never, ever, ever be able to detect them. And I know that I'm in fair company. When someone says that you definitely want to go out and 100% prove them wrong. Uh, and the thing that he said was that it, we wouldn't be able to detect them because the, the level at which they're at the, the sensitivity of the instruments you'd have to have is well beyond human capacity. Uh, in September of this last year, though, we actually did detect gravitational waves. Uh, the LIGO observatory, um, basically it, it, It found them. Uh, And I can get into the the long, cool way that they they did find them. But basically, they used uh, a laser interferometer uh, to detect minute changes in uh, the distance of a laser, the distance that a laser was traveling uh, on the scale of one ten thousandth, the radius of a proton. Uh, So tiny, 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 tiny uh, uh, distance changes. And uh, in doing so, they have discovered and found these gravitational waves, they found the source of it, uh, two black holes merging. And uh, we're learning so much more about it. And it's that idea of, holy smokes, we did the impossible, something that we, we never thought we'd be able to do. Uh, and uh, we're doing it and learning even more about it. We've had another uh, event that was found in, much later in December. And so it's it's pretty exciting to the idea that we're doing things that people said would not be even possible. To, and not just any person, but you know, a brilliant mind
1: and aren't we also just about to come up to an uh, a, spe- a special date with
0: the with the Junior,
1: Juno Juno Explana- uh, exploration with Jupiter
0: Uh, Well, it's been uh, orbitally inserted in terms of the Juno mission that's at Jupiter now. So this is the the mission that's looking at uh, the the atmosphere and looking at the internal structure uh, underneath Jupiter. Uh, And in, uh, yeah, so August is when we get the, it gets basically closer into Jupiter towards its orbit. Uh, And then October is the actual date that we have. Uh, In October, we're going to get the first set of data uh, or the first set of major data. We're getting data back. Uh, there was a beautiful picture. I don't know if you saw uh, of the South Pole of Jupiter. Uh, really cool, kind of. Uh, it almost looks like a target because uh, it's got these concentric circles. The 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 cloud structure on Jupiter. Um, so we are getting lots of information back. It still is in its kind of redirecting an orbit. Orbit. It's it's redirecting itself so it can get in the pr- the proper orbital path. Um, but yeah, in October we're going to be getting back some pretty fantastic data.
1: That's so incredible, uh you know I'm curious you had mentioned you know the 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 typical scientist is seen as somebody who's you know antisocial and clearly that's somebody that you're not and and I feel like that's <laughs> a big part in how you're able to educate the public uh you're just so passionate about it, bet you're also a great storyteller Was that something that you think you learned or were you just uh
0: you know sort of born that way uh I think it's how my passion comes out uh so there's as, as with any field, there's a ton of different types of scientists. There's many people who love talking about their work, but they get uh, intimidated by the fact that they have to talk about it. Um, to me, that's what I love. I get the, you know, the chills running up my spine whenever I start talking about something that's super cool. And I get really, uh, I talk really quickly and loudly and I get, you know, all fervent with my hands. Um, that's what gets me going. That's the way that I like, that's the way I like talking about science. Uh, it's something that's meant to be shared. A lot of people, they love talking about science, you know, quietly in the lab or, or uh, you know, over drinks or something. But it, it's a much more private investment, uh, which is fantastic. Everyone is different. Uh, but for me, the big thing is that I like it when people, my, my biggest thing is that I like it when people that have never heard of something or have heard a little bit of something but were too scared to ask uh, or just didn't know how to ask. When they ask those questions, and I'm able to kind of give light, or or not even give light, just just steer them on the path of of this is what you're talking about. You should learn more about this. Totally, I give and, them a little and, tease.
1: And in the science community, are you considered to be a bit of a outlier, or or, or are you a bit of a <laughs> uh, you know? I, I guess here's here's where I'm going to go with this, and just follow my train of thought and tell me if I'm crazy. You remember the movie Patch Adams? Yeah. Remember how Patch Adams was just a bit of a different doctor than the rest of them and they kind of all hated him for that? Yeah. Is are, is that the same case in the science community? <laughs> I mean, are you seen me? as are you seen <laughs> as being sort of anti establishments Are you kind of out there or are you sort of at the forefront of what science needs to be doing to get people uh, interested in
0: it again? I don't think anyone in the community shuns me at all. I think they embrace me 100%. Cool. No, that's great. Uh, yeah, the thing the thing with the scientific community is is conversation at a high level is loved at any level Uh, and getting people involved in the scientific community. That's, that's what we, that's what we as scientists love. We love our research. We love, uh, finding new stuff out, but we also love sharing it with people. Uh, and it's the thing that we don't have a lot of science communicators. We don't have that middle, that middleman, a lot of the time, there's this beautiful work that's being done um, that's kind of hidden in the shadows a lot of the times because it, it gets published, but no one really reads these publications. The publications don't make the front page of the newspaper, you know, because I don't know, someone came out with, the, you know, Justin Bieber was found shirtless somewhere. He gets the front cover and here we have this beautiful science article that's that's. Making page three or something, a lot of people don't actually hear about it, uh, and so I i play this unique role in a lot of respects that that is is very well needed and by both the scientific community as well as the public. um And I'm trying to, you know, I'm I'm 24. I'm just trying to jump into it. Uh, I'm I've got my toe in the door, and I, and I'm trying to push it open there. Awesome. Um, and
1: at the same time, and- you, we we seem to be. Um we seem to be falling in love with a lot of sort of space pioneers and, and different science, science pioneers. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the Elon Musk's of the world and the Ray Kurzweil's of the world and the, you know, Peter Diamandis. And I know Jeff Bezos is heavily involved Neil in Degrassi. space, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, yeah. uh, is, is this the new sort of uh, are these the new um, kind of heroes and, and uh, <laughs> studs in the science world? And is it perhaps because they are good storytellers and they, and they are able to, you know, um, uh, explain it
0: properly. Totally. Uh, I definitely think they're the new, the, the, the new and up and coming heroes, if you will. Maybe, a- studs, and it's always, maybe studs was the bad word. I was going to say studs, studs is a nice word. I mean, some of them are pretty attractive and stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd necessarily go up and say, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you're, you're a stud. Yeah. Uh, I love your, I love your, he's got, he has some nice vests. Yes. Oh, that, okay. There's definitely one thing that I need to get into and I'm going to call them hero or, or speaker of science. Uh, Every single one of them has a piece. Uh, Bill Nye has his bow ties. Neil deGrasse has these awesome vests. You know, everyone has their iconic piece. I need to find mine. We'll yeah. figure out what that is one we'll, day. Let's work on um, it. We'll work on it. <laughs> you know what would be it. good? Like, How about like running shoes? Just like really flashy running shoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could work. Except, yeah, I mean, what, I, I'm on stage and I've got to like lift my feet up every now and again. So people That's, can see that's them. part <laughs> of it. That's part of it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, these, these science heroes, uh, are definitely not only in the scientific community, but, but across the board, um, they are heroes. They are people that are, that are bringing, uh, to light or bringing, uh, communication across, uh, in subjects that are, are highly, highly complicated to understand in a lot of respects, they're making it palatable for everyone. And that's really what the the beauty is across the board, no matter where I go, if I'm, in Surrey doing one of these programs that I do uh, to guys in four, four to six. Uh, basically, I do this program called Sticks and Stars. That's uh, for at-risk boys. Uh, and uh, we basically do these really cool programs uh, where we do science demos. And, and what my my job is basically going there and saying, what are your questions? What are the questions that you're, you you know, haven't asked your parents? What are your questions that you haven't asked your teachers? Uh, and how can I basically answer them or, or look them up and give you gives you some perspective on them. Um, And it's that kind of idea of the boys love it. They are so passionate about it. uh, Even though they necessarily wouldn't have been, you know, day one walking into the program, they're not really interested. It's like, oh, who's this guy? Uh, But by the end of it, they're like, no, 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 stay. We we just want to talk to you. And we just want to learn more about space. Space is really, and not to be cliche, but space is the final frontier. It's the next place we're going to be exploring. There's a lot that we have to explore out there. And I think people are uh, inherently interested in learning. And it's just the idea of how do you actually, how do you get that learning across in a way that's comfortable for everyone? Not everyone does well reading uh, a manual or reading a textbook or having someone lecture at them, but people love it if they're entertained, if they're told a story. uh, And through that kind of medium, I think that's how we get a lot of our knowledge across.
2: I just wanted to I just wanted to go back and, and close the loop on the the two things that you talked about with regards to to general relativity. Um, so the gravitational waves are, are important because no, no, I think this is important. I think this is important. for the, I think I this knew, is important for I the, knew the this listeners. Would happen.
1: Right? I knew this would happen.
2: I think this is important for the listeners. Cause like, so two things, the, the gravitational waves are important because it sort of, it was like the last sort of missing link for the theory of general relativity. Is that correct?
0: Uh, kind of, we're missing one more link.
2: Yeah. And what, what's the, what's the last piece?
0: So electromagnetism, nuclear strong, nuclear weak, they're all unified as theories. Uh, and we're missing gravity. So the idea is that quantum mechanics can describe everything in the universe except for gravity. Uh, and so it's how do you get gravity attached to quantum mechanics or some other string theory or, or other theory that's the, the unifying theory of everything in our universe. Did you look behind the couch? Because
1: I, I lose stuff there all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's
2: so uh, ridiculous. I have it,
0: two couches. I'll have to figure out which one to look behind. <laughs>
2: uh and then and and then you know gravitational waves is there is is there an immediate sort of relevance to the everyday person that's out there listening to this podcast like now that we know that gravitational waves exist is there something that we can you know potentially or prospectively do with that
0: Totally. So uh, there is a lag time, of course. When we come, when we discover something, it takes a long time for us to actually understand it and quantify it. We we have really only a couple events to go on right now. But as we learn more about them, as more people get involved, India is building a LISA observatory, or the 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 LISA project. Um, so we'll have more detection sites, which will be more sensitivity and give us more understanding. So, excuse me. Uh, right now we're just learning. Uh, so right now, for the public, in that respect. There's no okay, yes, we're not getting a warp drive made of gravitational waves next week,, uh, but we're definitely on our way to understanding the fabric of space time more and being able to manipulate with it uh ultimately, I think that uh this will allow us to manipulate the fabric of space time and understand it a much greater level than ever before um the other thing that's really really important uh to understand is that this is this is something that we're using in a unique way this is a complete new color palette it's not even a color palette it's like it's like figuring out that you have a sixth sense, figuring out that you have another way of feeling and interacting with the world around you. Right now, when we, when we talk about space, the way that we interact with it, but with it mostly is in the electromagnetic spectrum we look using radiation, we use photons, uh, we send out photons, or we receive photons from different sources. And those photons tell us different pieces of information. But a photon is very limited in what it can do And this I shouldn't say it's limited, it's got a lot of potential. Uh, but it is still only a photon. And so what a gravitational wave is, is a completely different beast, uh, and a completely different tool that we're using to look up at the universe. So we have these beautiful Milky Way mappings, there's a multi- multispectral uh milky way mapping which tells us a ton about our milky way galaxy but now we're going to be able to like gravitationally lens uh or uh, gravitationally uh, observe I guess I should say because gravitational lensing is something very different uh we'll be able to observe it or hear it almost it's kind of like hearing uh the the universe around us as opposed to just seeing it so we get a whole different color palette a whole bit di- di- different perspective I guess uh of the universe
2: around us very cool um yeah, thanks for that. And then, and then the second piece is, you know, when when we're exploring planets like Mars and now now with Jupiter, um, I think it's interesting because a lot of people it engages a lot of people because there's that sort of mystery of the unknown of like what are we going to find. Um, but why why do you feel like it's so it's so important? Like, what do you tell people about why it's important for us to discover and explore these planets? And you know, what are some of the scientists? scientists in the community hoping to find um in this recent exploration or this next exploration i should say
0: in terms of specifically pertaining to jupiter the 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 big thing here is figuring out uh where we came from ultimately everything boils down to to us to me uh it's enough to say we're learning it's it's enough to say we're out there exploring going where no one has ever been before i mean the, the the star trek kind of creed if you will uh the search for knowledge and, and the search for understanding is sufficient to say, let's do it. Um, that's kind of my didactic imperative. That's my, that's my need to learn my need to teach uh, just information and people learning and always expanding their minds is sufficient. Um, and I realized for, for a lot of people, they say, why are we spending a billion dollars just to learn? Well, we do learn a lot about ourselves by going to Jupiter, by, by going to the, the king of the planets, if you will, uh, the largest gas giant that we have in our solar system. Um, we believe that Jupiter was actually the first nucleation point uh, in terms of the, f- the first planet that was that was formed uh, or one of the first planets that was formed. Uh, and in doing so, it may have cleared the path for the Earth. So we, we probably wouldn't exist, we wouldn't exist, actually, if not for Jupiter, uh, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, Jupiter also helped protect us during uh, asteroid bombardment, where it actually, at this Lagrangian points, it captured uh, a lot of these asteroids. Um, so Jupiter is essential for the Earth existing. And so uncovering more, learning more about Jupiter, about its atmosphere, about its magnetosphere, how it formed, why it formed, what is the water level on, on Jupiter, all of these little things. They're going to be teaching us about us, about our
2: perspective uh, here on the Earth, uh, as well as more about our solar system. Very cool. And in terms of, uh, can we can we bounce over to Mars really quick? Is that okay? Sure. <laughs> um, in terms of like you know, because there's a lot of uh, conversation about, especially from like Elon Musk about colonizing Mars. Um, where where do you where do you stand with that? A. Do you do you see it as a uh, as a possibility? I mean, it seems like a possibility, but but B. When would it theoretically kind of be possible? Uh,
0: so I wouldn't. I wouldn't even say it's a possibility. It's an inevitability.
2: We're we're going to Mars. Uh,
0: we will go to Mars uh, within the next 15 years. We will have at least the first man or woman on the surface of Mars. Um, the, the timeline that Elon Musk set is is a uh, a very quick one, uh, which. It's totally possible if everything goes as planned but as we know things happen uh my estimate is that we're going to be on mars there will be a, a man or a woman on mars uh by 2028 and by 2030 uh there will be talk of of actual manned missions female mission person missions i guess is the best way of saying that uh to mars so by 2030 we will have um people actually going to mars that's incredible. Uh, there's a couple incredible. of major hurdles that we have to get to and and elon musk is is a fantastic example of someone who's actively working at at getting those to happen, but it is happening.
1: And is that is that going to happen because of one person like Elon Musk, or is it truly a you know multinational
0: effort that's going to get us there? One hundred percent of multinational effort. There's no question that there are individuals that are working towards it, uh, but. It's when we all come together that we make this possible. Uh,
1: And I like like the fact that you said that, because one of the things that really resonated with me when I saw you speak was, um, and I I wrote down the quote and you said that, you know, there's this idea that space exploration could allow people to put aside their differences to share a common goal. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can kind of expand on that. Because to me, when I heard that, it was sort of like, you know, it's like space diplomacy. It's uh, it's bringing us together.
0: A hundred percent. It's, Beyond anything else, the reason why I love talking about space and getting people interested in space is because that's that's what it is. Space is the one area that across the world, we all come together. We all work together. Uh, nations have, have created space uh, institutions and those space institutions work together and, and communicate with each other to an extent, um, even if the countries themselves aren't communicating with each other. Uh, we all are working together to get to space. It's the one field or the one faculty where we're all people, regardless of what race you are, where you come from, um, man, woman, child, like it's, it's the place that we all sit together at the table and discuss and talk and, and compare notes, if you will. Uh, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to space is the privatization of space, not because of, of the necessary the, the competitive element of, oh, we're going to beat all these other guys, and we're going to make such a profit. It's, no, if you're interested in space, yes, there is profit to be made. There's no question. But the people who are really on the frontiers, the people who are passionate about it, they're, they're passionate about a niche of space. Uh, Elon Musk is interested in a lot of different niches, but just take the example of uh, one of the major things that he's trying to do is make it it's more affordable, make it affordable for everyone to do it to, or, or to make it uh, possible for more people to do it, to get people involved and moving towards space. So he's just one specific area. He's looking specifically at uh, reclaiming the rockets, basically reusing those rockets to decrease the cost. If you went on an airplane and you had just throw away the airplane, every time you did it, you'd never travel anywhere. It would be extremely expensive. And that's what we do right now with rockets. So that's one of the areas that he's working on. He's also interested in going to Mars with the idea of, of habitating Mars as a, as a backup plan, if you will. Um, and so his passions are being, uh, derived into those different regions, uh, and that's the thing with space, you, you get passions about them and you get passionate people that have backing that have intellect, uh, and they drive those passions a- and they kind of clear the way for those specific things. And then once we put all of those passionate people together and we work together with all those passionate people, that's when we can do things like build the international space station. The international space station is the most expensive project that humans have ever uh, accomplished, but we did it. We have this object, uh, that's about the size of a football field, uh, orbiting around the earth at about 30,000 kilometers per hour every day. I saw it two days ago. Um, a couple of days ago, I was out with friends and literally we were walking down the street and I saw Mars and I kind of had this euphoric moment and I turned to all my friends and I said, Hey guys, we're going there. There will be people on that little dot, that little orangey kind of bright spot in the sky. There will be people living there soon. You know, you or I could be saying, Hey, let me call up Mars for a bit, and you know have a little Skype conversation, albeit you know a delayed Skype conversation because we don't yet have the ability to to process things faster than the speed of light, but we could have a conversation with the people that are on that little dot that's all the way out there
1: mm. you know we're going to start to wrap up a little bit soon, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you is how do you how do you stay as curious as you are? And how important does curiosity
0: play you know in your life? <laughs> Everything interests me. I guess that's that's my big thing. A shy, one of my friends, she she coined me wildfire. Uh I get really excited about a lot of different things. Uh you can talk to me about space, but you can also throw in there and, and talk to me about sports, even or, or you know, I'm starting martial arts up again. And and I just I love you And, yeah, and you're, a, love you're a singer. You're a singer, aren't you? Them. I'm a singer as well. I sing with Corleone, yeah. So and and yeah, I get. That's one of the actual beautiful areas that I get to to bring all of the things that I like together. I like so many different things and I love it when people get interested in things that I'm interested in or or I see people that are interested in things. Um, you know, a lot of my friends have or one thing that's in common almost across the board with my friends is that they're extremely passionate period, people about certain things uh, one of my friends is an animator and he, he loves animation. One of my friends is a gardener and, and horticulture. And we've had many conversations just talking about herbs and how horrible my, you know, I've got a little balcony here and my little balcony garden is not doing so well. So he's chastised me. And so it's, it's this beautiful conversation of people are passionate about things. It's finding those passions and really bringing them out. Um, that's the, that's the, the big important question. How do you, how do you get People passionate about things. How do you allow people to be passionate about things? Because uh, that's one of the issues that I see, uh, and in, in the interview flow and the questions that you you sent me. There's one question that was talking about what is the biggest challenge about being a man and, and being a person, uh, and it's emotions. I find it's being true to who you are and and being emotional. Uh, I read this fantastic article the other day uh, that my friend posted on Facebook uh, about people aren't in touch with their emotions. If you're walking on the street, if you're buying groceries. And, you know, you ask them, how are you? It's not its not like they're actually asking, how are you? It's, it's a colloquialism. It's a hi. It's a way to say hello. Everyone says, oh, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. And then you walk along your merry way. Uh, we're very, we're distanced from our emotions as people. And I think when we embrace our emotionality, when we embrace the, you know what? I'm fantastic. I read this awesome article the other day about this. Or, you know what? I'm kind of under the weather, but I'm excited for this thing that's coming up. Uh, and actually being honest about that kind of thing and, and and figuring out what makes you happy, what makes you passionate, what makes you excited. Uh, that's when you start to to get curious and get, you know, interested in exploring all these other things. Uh, my dad has a funny story about me. Um, he would always be like, where's Derek uh, when I was younger? Uh, and oftentimes you, they'd find me like literally in an anthill. I saw an anthill and I was following these ants to their anthill. And then I started to slowly like follow them and just watch them and i i I wanted to like dissect into the the anthill and uh i felt bad That I would be destroying their home. And then that led me to following these birds that I saw. Literally, my dad's like, you just were scatterbrained of I'm looking at this. I'm so interested in this. And then, oh, but that's that's interesting, uh, too. I want to go figure out that. And so hours later, he'd find me like up a tree looking at a nest or something. So it's it's that idea of there's knowledge everywhere. There's beautiful things everywhere. Um, Let it be music. Let it be space. uh, Let it be science. Let it be anything art. Uh, there's so much out there and it's just finding your passion, finding what resonates with you. It doesn't have to be everything. A lot of things resonate with me, but it's find, find what you're interested in and have an open mind about it. Uh, and, uh, you'll always want to learn that way.
2: Wonderful. That's yeah, it's really powerful. Um, it made me think about my childhood and digging around in the backyard (laughs) and and getting and getting in constant trouble because I was always digging stuff up, but, um, Just, just as we just because we kind of wrap, wrap this up. So we've got one or two questions left for you. Uh, I'm really curious in terms of, you know, advice that you've been given along your career path, because you're a young guy, you know, sounds like you've had some really good success so far. What's some of the best advice that you've been given around whether it's career or perspective around science, or uh, even about curiosity? What's something that's that's always stuck with you?
0: I guess beyond anything else, be curious. Uh, if you have a question, if you if you have something that you don't know uh, or are interested in learning about, do it. Um, the lab that I was working on, uh, Joshua Folk was a fantastic supervisor, uh, and one of the things that uh, really resonated with me with that was we would have conversations and they they'd go off onto tangents and it wouldn't be pertaining to the the quantum devices that we were uh, talking about, but these conversations would lead to these places that, that were beautiful and wonderful and, and really, um, (laughs) I try not to figure out how to describe the sensation. It's, it's this, uh, sensation of you're having a conversation, the conversation ends and your mind just feels like mush. It's, it's this kind of euphoric sensation of there's so much that my brain is processing and I don't necessarily understand it all, but I've, I've learned something. Uh, and it's that curiosity. It's that it's the, it's the striving for that sensation, that high, if you will, uh, a runner's high, the, a, a, a geek high. Uh, it's it's striving to, to find those moments where you are expanding your brain, you are learning more uh, and never, never, ever, ever being ashamed uh, of asking a question of of not knowing something. If I don't know something, I say it up front. Hey, I don't know about that. And then people are like, oh, well, you know, let me Bring you up to speed. Let me teach you something. Uh, because that's something that the, the world needs more of. Um the world needs more people that are willing to say, you know, humbly, oh, let me teach you. It's not a hubris thing, it's not an arrogance thing of, oh, I'm smarter than you. It's a I have this bit of knowledge. Because if you ask anyone in the world, anyone at all, I will stand by this till my dying day, everyone has a story, everyone has something to share, and everyone has a voice. And it's just being able to listen as well as um teach. So it's being both sides of that of that coin. uh, That's extremely important. Uh, Every interaction I have with a person, I try to leave them with something and then I try to have them leave me with something. And it's it's that sharing. It's that mutual kind of investment in humanity that I think makes everything very important. And it, it does all stem from curiosity. It's what's your story? What's my story? And and how can we just learn more about other people, the way they live? They think and the world around us, the scientific world in general, you know, a ton about biology. I know a ton about physics. Let's let's communicate and, and have a wonderful dialogue. So, so
2: so on that on that note, um, really, really quick. I have, I have two two quick questions for you. Quantum computing. What's your stance <laughs> on it? Really quickly.
0: It's fantastic. It's misunderstood. People think of quantum computing as a replacement for computing. It is not, in the general case. Quantum computing has very specific applications right now. It may, in the future, be open for everyone, but it's a fantastic new technology that we're working on.
2: Wonderful. And then, you, what is, as an astronomer and and a physicist, what what does your definition of success look like? Because you're you're sometimes dealing with very abstract things. So, what <laughs> you know, how how do you define the parameters of success within your within your day to day basis? That is a really tough question. Success is one of those (laughs) things that I struggle with
0: (laughs) because I would consider myself a fairly successful individual. But a lot of the times I feel I feel like I'm fighting against the world in in this ever seeming tide of, you know, what am I leaving behind? Where where am I going? Um, Success, success is the ability to see a smile on someone's face, Uh, the ability to get that twinkle in their eye of that really inspired me. Um, I've had days where I was feeling kind of crummy and I'll be talking to a class or I'll be, I'll be lecturing somewhere. And then having someone come to me afterward and be like, that really blew my mind. That really put me in a place that I have never been before. Uh, that's success for me. Touching one person's mind, bringing them to a place that they've never been to having people say, Hey, I've always wanted to learn about that. And you made that possible. That's success for me uh, bringing something to someone else. It's not monetary. It's not any, any of these other values. Um, success is the ability to, to share an experience with someone that they haven't had or share knowledge with someone that they don't know about, uh, and be able to really, uh, have them embrace that and, and get joy out of that. Um, I love it when, after I've given a talk, people are smiling uh, a lot of times people give a talk and it's kind of the, okay, let me check my phone time to go. But no, when people are smiling, when people are engaged, when people are actually interested, uh, that means that I was successful in inspiring them in some way. And that's really what, what I try to do. I inspire people that science is not this big, scary thing. It's this beautiful, wondrous creature, uh, that we just have to learn more about and you can find fun in that.
1: Wow. Well, I think you've, you're doing an incredible job of that. And, and like I said, that's what got me inspired to, to have you come on the show and, and, and share your, um, your experience with everyone. And we really, really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, what's the best way that people can get a get hold of you or, or learn more about you?
0: Totally. Uh, I'm always down to grab a coffee. I love talking to people. Shoot me an email. My email is dkeef12 at gmail.com. And you're more than welcome to to email me anything. Or yeah, come by the Space Center sometime and just ask for me. And I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you.
1: Perfect. And let's give a plug for the Space Center. What's something cool and exciting that's coming up uh, at the Center?
0: Oh, I'm so excited! We have, we have actually in October, September, October, November is dedicated to science fiction versus science fact, uh, or it's the science fiction world that we're opening up. Uh, we're getting an exhibit on Star Trek. Uh, we're going to be having a dialogue between uh, Star Trek versus Star Wars. We're going to be having uh, a whole bunch of stuff that's basically took, looking at uh, all these fantastical worlds that we've created and what is the science behind them.
1: You should um, see Connor right now. Connor is <laughs> Connor has a geek high. Good.
0: Uh, we're, we have a whole bunch of events that are surrounding that. We've got a couple of night events, adult only events where we basically have a beer and talk about, which is, you know, uh, I think we're we're debating the captains. Uh, two of the captains, probably Picard and Kirk, you know, who's the better captain kind of thing. Yeah, we're going to have a whole bunch of really great events around science fiction, science fact. What's real? Uh, how can we make it a reality? Where is science going? So awesome. a little and, bit of nerd, a little bit of geek. And how can
1: they learn more about that?
0: uh go on to our website uh search for HR McMillan Space Center uh and uh yeah, find us out on there. Awesome. Awesome.
1: And for our listeners out there, you can learn more about Man Talks itself by going to mantalks.com uh, for more podcasts, blog posts. We've got a lot of amazing new articles up there and information on all of our events, which are coming up soon. Uh, of course, please subscribe to us on iTunes and please, please, please leave us a review. It goes a long way to make sure that our podcast gets into as many ears as possible. Thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man.